What's up, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to a new episode of Lattes with Lindsay. Today, our amazing guest is Melanie Lopez. She's going to really dive into what a Cairo can do for you and really, you know, beat out those stereotypical norms of what people are always so concerned about when it comes to Cairo. I really want to clarify those and really bring some light to the actual profession because it has so many benefits. Hey, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi there. Welcome. Um, yeah, my name is Melanie. I work in the Daysville area of Toronto, Ontario. I've been in practice for about 15 years and I became a sports specialist chiropractor back in 2011. Um, so typically as a chiropractor, you, you go through about four years of university and then four years of chiropractic. And there are two programs in Canada currently, uh, one in Toronto at CMCC. Um, which is an English-speaking program, second programs in Quebec at UQTR. There's only two, otherwise there are hundreds of programs in the States and around the world. Um, and after that, you can choose to do a specialty program. So there's three specialties, um, clinical sciences, radiology, and sports sciences. And they're usually two to three, three-year programs. Um, so I chose to do the sports program. Oh, amazing. I, I am... Out of all those, I'd probably pick sports every time. Just, you yeah. know, that's just what it is. But that's awesome. So in, what made you choose sports? Like what really got you to say, okay, this is what I really want to specialize in? Good question. Um, I'm an active person myself. and by no means an Olympic athlete. I like just moving. Um, since I was younger, I grew up watching um, World Cup soccer, Euro Cup and the Olympics, and I diagnosed myself with Olympic narcolepsy every single time you come around, because I have to watch anything and everything, even if it's curling, which is fantastic, by the way, um, and I just thought, okay, if I can't be an Olympic athlete, even though I did try, that's a side story, um, I figured maybe I can be a therapist and bring my profession that Olympic event so I just thought okay cool I can become a sports chiro and that's hopefully going to be my I find most athletes actually go into therapies because they're like okay I wish I had this therapy when I was you know an athlete or I wish I took you know more interest in it because it benefits you know me in these different ways so for sure absolutely you know are there any really cool fun facts about you that anyone could you know kind of remember about this podcast Things I like to do on the side, I'm very much into salsa dancing. I started for fun and it's a nice little side thing that Ooh. I do. Yeah. And so now when I travel, um, which that's another thing I like to do, um, if it's especially in a country that has salsa dancing, I like to experience it in that country itself. And each country has their own um, customs and culture, which is exciting. Um Two years ago, I did one of the best trips of my life. If you've ever heard of the Camino de Santiago, it's in Europe. It's like a walk or pilgrimage people do. And you can make it as short as long as you want, but literally the best trip of my life. I took on five weeks. I walked from Lisbon, Portugal to Santiago, Spain, and covered about 750 kids. Yeah. So that's what I just did now, actually. Once the pandemic started, it was the exact same time two years ago when I was on the Camino. So I'm like, I'm going to see if I can walk that same distance. So I just finished it yesterday. Wow. That's amazing. I hope you have your stepper on because that's, you I know, do. you got to make sure that you get all those steps. That's amazing. That's, that's really cool. So have you like with your career and stuff like that, because you specialize in sports, have you been able to 
you know, travel um, for your job in regards to working with a sports team or an individual sport or anything like that? The first, um, I guess, minor games that I traveled to was 2017. I got to go to the Canada Summer Games in Winnipeg, which was amazing. I've done winter games in, um, where was that? Red Deer, Alberta last year. I now know what minus 50 feels like. Um, it was great. And, and most recently, uh, back in December, I was in Northern, also another side thing. I started learning sign language for fun a few years ago, just for something else to do with my hands. And I found out that there was deaf sport. Wow. There are, just how we have the Olympics for able-bodied athletes, there are the deaf Olympics, which are for those who are hearing impaired or deaf. So the winter Deaf Olympics were in um, just outside of Milan. So I was with the Canadian Deaf and snowboarding team. Holy smokes. We got to backtrack here. Hang on yeah. one second. Yeah. That, that is, I feel like that is a crazy fun fact too. You got a lot of these. You know, I, yeah. I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even know there was a games for that. That's fantastic. Me neither. Literally by chance. It was crazy. Everyone's like, did you, um, do you have anyone in your family who's deaf or hearing impaired? I'm like, fortunately, I don't. Um, or unfortunately, I don't, because it's a very cool language to learn. Um, and where I live, the Bob Rumble Foundation for the Deaf is only a few minutes away. And I kept on driving by and I'm like, let me just try one class. And after one class, I'm like, this is amazing. So when I go salsa dancing, it's really loud or at a bar. I don't want to yell anymore with my friends. So I start signing my way and I just force it upon them. I'm like, just read my lips because that's what a hear, uh, hearing impaired or a deaf person um, has to endure. So it's giving me a new appreciation. And now it's opened up for some deaf patients to come in and receive chiropractic care because it's something they normally wouldn't do because they would have to pay for an interpreter. Because that's amazing because when I was able to work with the Special Olympics, like we had to undergo like diagram explanations about, you know, how they're feeling, where their pain is, kind of things like that. So wow, that would be really interesting to dive into. Like, did you, did you have, um, a difficult time with it at the beginning communicating or was there you know like how in certain languages they have like slang does do they have slang with with like sign language it, it, yes definitely slang but it's different as um, a person who learned english as their first language we speak every single word we want to communicate with sign language even though i've used five words in a sentence you would only basically sign like maybe three things and that conveys the message. So it's sort of hard. I want to sign every word that I'm saying, but I'm learning. I don't have to do that. And a lot of it is using expression and body. Yeah. So if I said I'm tired, but I'm still smiling, it doesn't make sense. But if I'm like, I'm tired, you get a better understanding. Oh. So it's a lot of energy work too. Like you got to really show your emotion. Cause I, you know, when I watched Trudeau speak, when we were watching the whole COVID thing, yes. you know, they always had an interpreter on the side. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this, this woman's really putting some power in this. Ooh. Like, so, you know, people understand. So that's, Absolutely. that's wicked. Yeah. That's, that is very cool. So, you know, linking that back to your Cairo, yeah. what type of treatments, you know, does a chiropractor do? Is it always you know, hands-on? Is it hands-off? Is it, you know, what what kind of stuff do you get into as a chiro? Okay. Um, well, as a chiro, definitely, I think the word chiro actually comes from hands, hands-on treatment. So we definitely use our hands, but I guess a misconception that a lot of people may have is that we adjust or we crack everyone. And I would say it's definitely a no. Um, after going through a full history and physical exam, usually with patients, um, We'll talk about 
options and find a happy medium. So if someone is, for example, osteoporotic or has very high blood pressure, as much as maybe they want an adjustment, they're not a candidate for it. So sometimes, or actually majority of all my treatments, I involve ART or active release technique. I can use Graston technique, another soft tissue form or cupping um, or acupuncture and a lot of education. The manual techniques, that's, that's excellent because I think um, as a massage therapist, I always get the question like, oh, like, you know, the, the last time I, I went for an adjustment, you know, like I was in so much pain the next day or whichever, or, um, you know, sometimes it's just peer education on it, you know, um, and the right therapist, honestly, their intentions are everything. You know, if, if someone really cares about the, the assessment, you know, you can really break down what their goals are and if they do need an adjustment or if they can use, you know, different manual techniques. So that's great. With the health history and stuff like that, um, do you have like a really in-depth, thorough health history that you go through as a Cairo? Yes. Um, I find that even before putting my hands on a patient, you almost get an idea of what the patient is presenting with just from all their questions and answers. And it's not just the typical location. How much pain are you in? Um, is there any pain radiating, traveling down your arm? But I like to delve into what we call like the yellow flags, like what kind of support system are they married, single, divorced? So you get an idea of what they're coming from, um, what kind of work they do. Um, sometimes if they have three screens, you're like, okay, maybe that's why you're having neck pain because we're not setting the ergonomics out correctly. Um, and even eating habits. So it's, I like to look at whole body, like holistic type of approach during the history. Yeah, that, that's, I, I love that because I, I think sometimes that's the part that people forget is that, you know, the health history is really how we get to know you. So if you hide things or if you, you know, limit the amount of um, paperwork that you do, and I know it's never fun to do the paperwork because there's always so much, but, you know, once we get that feel for it, it's a lot more of a comforting environment for you to be in because we know each other, which is really great. So, um you know, how long typically is an assessment versus a treatment? Like, is there a vast difference between those? Good question. So I would say every chiropractor, I think, um, operates a little bit differently. And also depending on where they went to school, um, going to CMCC here in Toronto, we definitely do an evidence-based approach. So all my initial exams go through a full history physical exam and treatment. So minimum, it's an hour visit. And depending on how complex the history and physical exam is and treatment, it could be longer than that. Um, some people, again, they come in with a lot of comorbidities. Um, so it's not just a typical healthy 20 something year old, but they're taking medications. You have to ask what they are and if those have any side effects and could be causing some of their musculoskeletal symptoms. So I would say minimum an hour up to an hour and, um, and a half. If it's very simple, straightforward, it could be history, physical exam, treatment, all within 45 minutes. Yeah, that's awesome. Because, I mean, everyone is different, which is the most important. And I think, you know, if with our assessment, sometimes people really do want that treatment, you know, as soon as we start that, that treatment time. And um, unfortunately, we have to do our assessments because, you know, for liability issues, of course. But of course, for your overall being, that's, that's a major key. So... For the continuing treatments, do you find that um, once you kind of get your base of information, then you kind of um, determine that for the duration of the next treatment? Or are they all kind of the same? Or how do you kind of create that treatment plan for someone? Right. So after that first um, physical exam is done, 
I will tell a patient, okay, this is what I'd like to do today and my goal for that day and going on from there. And a lot of them will be like, okay, when can I book the next appointment? Even though we haven't even started the treatment yet. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and, and I like to tell them, let's do the first treatment. You let me know how you're feeling. And we go from there. And I like to, I always send them an email afterwards with follow-up exercises or recommendations that they can do. Because I find if we can get the patient involved with like, active care and take onus on, them, on their own health, um, it takes sort of the burden off myself and it puts it sort of back on them. Um, and then we go from there. So if someone's definitely more acute, possibly I might see them in a few days time. I don't like to do back to back. Actually, I don't think I've ever done back to back treatments. And, and why would that be, for example, like, why would, why would that be a, a no go kind of thing? Good question. Um, if someone is very acute and say I did acupuncture, sometimes they might get immediate relief getting off the table. Otherwise, I usually suggest it takes about 24 hours for the body sort of just to get back to some kind of equilibrium um, and allow like the muscle spasm and everything just to calm down. And sometimes the treatments that we do, um, like ART, if you're not used to it, I always tell patients it usually feels like you've had a good workout without the workout for the first 24 hours or so. So I like to give a minimum 24 hours before the next treatment. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's sometimes the toughest part as professionals, because, you know, if you are doing an acupuncture treatment along with Cairo or an adjustment or a treatment, um, it's hard because sometimes those reactions don't happen until the next day or, you know, you go to sleep and then you wake up and then you truly feel it. So um, I agree. It's definitely a major key to give it at least a day just to see if there is a change or good or bad. After the treatment, that first treatment is done, I always tell patients ahead of time, these are the risks and benefits. Just so as long as they're mentally prepared for that possible soreness the day after or so, um, and they can like message us or call us and let us know, we could guide them and be like, okay, I think you still need to give another day or so before you check in again. Mm -hmm. So with those treatment plans, how do you find people handle home care? For example, um, do you find that you're, you have a hard time with that, with people, you know, giving them five exercises versus two? How do you, how do you kind of deal with that? Right. <laughs> Sometimes I get overzealous and I'm like, here's 5 billion exercises thinking they're going to do them all. And then I realize that when I have to do my own homework, that I suck at it sometimes. I'm like, I don't want to do it. Um, so I try to just keep it, for example, on that first visit, I'm like all I want you to do is ice your back, whatever it is, one simple thing. Perfect. And they're like, that's it? Perfect. Like, yeah, that's it. And so it's easy for them to digest because they just have to endure this whole session and take in all that information, like put all that digest, and then we go from there. So maybe just a few things I find is better than giving them a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. Sometimes the, the first assessment alone is overwhelming because, you know, you're educating them on their body, showing them diagrams or, you know, physically on themselves and, and helping them understand what is going on. And just that alone is overwhelming. And then it's like, here's, you know, five pages of stretches that I want you to do. And it's like, okay, wait, wait, <laughs> let's take, you know, one treatment, see how you feel. And then, you know, we'll keep going. So you know, with that initial treatment or the treatment plan, um, how do you kind of master overcoming those stereotypes that people always come in with when it comes to Cairo? Right. Um, very commonly when patients come in for their first Cairo experience, 
they'll first say like, I don't want to get cracked before I even begin. I'm like, okay. And I laughed inside, but I understand with public perception, what's out there in social media, there are some negative connotations with chiropractic. So the key thing is to listen to their concerns and be like, okay, I am not here to force anything upon you. I will give you options. And then we both come to some kind of agreement as to what can be done. For example, stroke and um, spinal manipulation. A lot of people are like, I don't have a stroke right away. And I'm like, well, there's no direct evidence to lead to that. Um, but we do have to do screening and that's why we do a full history and physical exam to figure out if you are a candidate. And then we talk about the risks and benefits. And um, if it's someone who is very hesitant about chiropractic, like say someone is coming in with neck pain and in my head, I'm like, I think they would really benefit from this. Instead, when I see them being apprehensive, I'll start off with soft tissue treatments, very gentle and educating them. And I find developing that trust, as you had mentioned before with the patient in time, it's almost them asking me like, okay, can we just try the adjustment now? And it's sometimes me just doing a mock, just a setup so they can get a feel for it. And that's all we're doing. Um, to get them more at ease. And we can use other techniques like activator. It's an instrument that we can use to provide um, some type of thrust, but without doing the full rotation of the Yeah, that's that's a great way to explain it. And I, and I love that you did break that down because, you know, I've had my, you know, my, my time with Cairo where I've been really nervous because, um, you know, I've had bad experiences uh, as an athlete. You know, I, I got on a table. They didn't really do like that quick of an assessment. And I, you know, to be honest, I didn't really tell them all my back problems that were going on at that time. So it was kind of a a 50, 50 thing. And, um, I was, I was so sore the next day, but then, you know, I tried Cairo again and said, Hey, you know what? Like, I want to build this rapport with you. I really want to grow, you know, as an individual to know, you know, what the benefits are of it. And once I understood that and exactly that, once you build that trust and that rapport with that therapist, then you're also more open to them doing things that, you know, will benefit you. And uh, it, it is a great, you know, time when you do finally have that trust because, um, heck, I, I, I love Cairo now. <laughs> they have saved me so many times, um, you know, with all different injuries that I've experienced. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful, huge advocate. So, um, you know, with working with athletes and, and potentially maybe some of the general public every once in a while, how do you find your assessments are different? Good question. Um, I think they're quite similar. However, sometimes with athletes who come in with this say, or just anyone who comes in with a specific issue, say for example, a knee issue, I don't just like looking at the knee. I always tell patients I like to look above and below because there could be things coming from the hip or the low back leading to some biomechanical issues of the knee or vice versa. Um, so I would say I would do the similar approach and that's why some patients are like oh I'm just a weekend warrior I'm like you're not just a weekend warrior you're Sue and that's all that matters or you're adjusted you're a person here coming for assistance and I'm here to treat you just like you were an Olympic athlete so I would say a similar approach across the whole board yeah and that and that's that's a great way to view it because at the end of the day everyone is a person whether it is an Olympian or you know the general population everyone has a body regardless of their skill set it's still something that needs to be assessed at the end of the day so absolutely 
Um, is there anything that you hope or wish the public knew more about when it comes to the actual profession and um, you know, what can truly benefit them long-term or short-term? Definitely, I think um, chiropractic can be used for anyone from babies up to senior citizens and everyone else in between. Yes, the force that we use is completely different for those two extremes. If you just put your fourth finger on your eyeball, that's the same amount of pressure I would use on a baby for an adjustment. Um, and same thing with um, like a 90 year old patient who doesn't have that bone density as a 20 something year old. You're not using that same amount of force, but they can still benefit from coming in. I find a lot of my um, older population um, benefit from the soft tissue work or acupuncture, or I find a lot of them just from being able to talk to someone because they may be living on their own and they don't have that social socialization with other people. Um, I ensure that I always block an extra 15 minutes with certain patients because just the talking itself is therapeutic for them. Yes. Um, yes. I feel like we're multiple therapists sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and one thing I did want to mention, um, some chiropractors, depending again, where they went to school and their philosophy, they advocate for doing x-rays on their first visit. And in our chiropractic education, we do, we do learn how to take x-rays and to read x-rays, um, which is great because we can diagnose. However, I don't believe it's imperative that we do it on the first visit. If I think off the get-go from a history and physical exam, something's not right, I will send them out to get x-rays done and we go through the imaging together afterwards. Or if they go through a course of care after just a few visits and I'm like, you're not getting a direction I'd like you to go into, then we take a step back, reevaluate, send you out for x-ray, ultrasound, MRI, CT, or blood work, and then figure out what's going on. So just to make sure people don't get caught in the fact that you go in for an exam and you're immediately screened and exposed to radiation when you don't necessarily need to. Yeah, big time. Yeah, a lot of chiros do that. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, like it, it also you know, can play a part, especially with that radiation for the elderly, right? With how many assessments they have to go through <laughs> as they get older in age. And, you know, you mentioned something really great is, is babies, you know, um, a lot of babies get treatment. I have a, a very dear friend of mine, her name's Jen, and she works in my clinic and, and she specializes in that. And um, what are the benefits for them to get treatments? Absolutely. Um, my first experience was, um, doing a home visit. I did a mobile visit for a woman who said her newborn was experiencing colic. And I'm like, I've heard of the word colic, never really heard of baby. I don't have a baby of my own yet. And when I went there, this baby was just crying, like unconsolably crying. And the mother couldn't do anything. And the doctors just suggested, just take her for a drive. I'm like, you can't keep on driving this baby around forever. And I found that typically it's a lot of gas that is built up in their intestinal system and they don't know how to get rid of it and also in conjunction with that through their mid-back it's usually tighter if you go through the full history you'll find out that it was a vaginal birth but there what they were the baby was stuck and there was a lot of pulling and even though the baby might might not be able to verbalize i have pain in my neck right now when you're actually palpating and touching the baby throughout their spine they'll wince or they'll turn away or um, they might want to only breastfeed on one side and not on the other side. Those are usually telltale signs or they might have um, 
a flat spot developing on one side and that's because they're only favoring one side because when you turn the neck to the other side they're in pain um hmm. and i find i would work through the spine light soft tissue work light adjustments and doing work over the abdomen they usually have a really big bowel movement soon after so i usually warn the parents about that it's usually an explosion like up the back and so when i remember <laughs> that one visit um, with that one baby, the mother messaged me, she's like, she slept for the first time for seven and a half hours straight, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. And babies are very resilient. And I find when parents come in and they have families and they have to bring in their kids just to babysit at the same time, I encourage them to come in just to watch. And a lot of times it gets them to become comfortable with like, uh, what chiropractic a lot of them think I'm hurting their mom or dad. I just let them know, like, no, I'm just here to help your mom and dad. And sometimes I get them involved. And they have to dip their hands in cream or use the foam roller or whatever. And I find even bringing kids in for treatment, they're not experiencing maybe headaches or anything major like that, but it's about getting them comfortable with their own body and how they're feeling. So they can express to their parents or their caregivers, I'm not feeling great today. And they can, they'll know why. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's an amazing like story in itself. That's, that's beautiful. Um, and yeah, I've, I've heard so many good things. Like even, you know, with massage, we, we do something kind of similar. We do like stomach massage and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it is very effective. Are there any other conditions that you can think of for babies that would, you know, also be recommended for Cairo? I would say between, like, there's no, um, evidence but there's definitely um, anecdotal evidence to say that it's good i find other than colic torticollis so that is, again is when the neck is um, turned to the one side due to like muscular contracture or spasm i find those two things are the most common or just like looking at the flat spot development and so on or yeah babies not wanting to breastfeed on one side um and i find just relating to babies I love treating pregnant women right from the get-go, right through to end of pregnancy. I think a lot of women are sort of scared and they're like, can I still receive? Absolutely. I'm definitely a bit more cautious during the first trimester to ensure like the 12 weeks and go again through a full history physical exam, whether they've been to their OB, their MD or their midwife. Um, but otherwise, chiropractic care is very safe um, and sometimes um, when a mother is overdue, instead of sending them out for a medical induction, I will do acupuncture to help induce labor. Oh, that is wicked. That's really good to know. That's that's wicked. So what, um, other than like the, the norm, like low back issues that pregnant women, you know, kind of endure, um, are there any other conditions or concerns that you always typically see with pregnant women that kind of can get some relief with Cairo? Absolutely. Um, Due to the whole body changing, um, breasts getting larger and just the belly protruding, it's going to throw things off out of whack. So I find a lot of upper back tension can develop or a rib issue. So a lot of women will talk about upper back pain, but then pain radiating or traveling just underneath the breast or when they're taking a deep breath in. And a lot of it is due to a rib issue that can be easily treated. Um, after giving birth, I find... A lot of women, because they're so concerned about baby positioning, they forget about their ergonomics completely in their posture. And when they're breastfeeding, a lot of them will develop wrist, forearm issues. I had one woman recently with 
uh, numbness and tingling as she was breastfeeding. So I watched her breastfeed. I'm like, okay, we got to change this up, see what's going on, because you are cocking your hand and you're um, flexing your wrist so much. That was causing so much undue tension. So we worked through her shoulder, her elbow, her forearm and hand and gave her stretches for her to do it. Oh, that's amazing. That, that is, that is, that's great information. <laughs> and, you know, for anyone who is, you know, pregnant, first off, congratulations. Um, and, you know, second, you know, try and get in with the Cairo because, you know, there are a lot of success stories um, when you are going through tough times, whether it's with your low back or with a rib or even sometimes with your neck, you're very protrudent, right? With all the weight that's, you know, shifting and changing. So, Definitely, you know, go to your local Cairo and how would they, how would they find a chiropractor? Like where would they, is there a website that they can kind of, you know, Google who's around their local area or how does that work? Absolutely. There are, um, for each province, there's um, their own chiropractic association. So if you're in Ontario, there's the Ontario Chiropractic Association or the OCA, and they do have a chiropractor locator option. So you can usually put in your area or your postal code and we'll give you options of what's close to your home. If you're aware of chiropractors, say in your hood, in your neighborhood, and you just go down the street, I guarantee you that each of those four or five different chiros are going to practice completely differently. So it doesn't mean you have to just accept what's there. I would advocate that you do your due diligence, look them up on the web, um, call them and just say, okay, what is your background? You're allowed to ask that it's your health that you're putting in their hands. Find out where they went to school. What type of techniques do they do? Um, what typically happens during their first visit? Because some chiros only go through a history on the first visit. Second visit is a physical exam. Third visit, maybe an x-ray. Not till like two weeks later they get a treatment. So I would definitely ask and find out someone that works for you. So if you're looking for someone who works more with pregnant patients, for example, find out if they do that or if they deal with kids or adults or they do more rehab, whatever, my, or TMJ, actually jaw issues. Yes, questions are literally the key for me. The more questions you ask, the better it is for yourself as well as the rapport that you are building with your healthcare professional. And, you know, guys, with this being said, if you guys have any further questions about the profession or, you know, you have a direct question for Melanie, you know, all the information about her and her contact information will be on our social media platforms you are more than welcome to contact her and really get to know more about what it can do for you and with this being said melanie thank you so much for coming on the show i can't thank you enough because you know taking this time to educate the public and giving someone maybe a new perspective on the profession and further grow their overall well-being. So thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to Lattes with Lindsay. Until next time, cheers!